Well, the last time we were together, we studied 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. So this morning, you can go ahead and open your Bibles up to chapter 1 of 2 Peter again, and we will go ahead and finish up chapter 1 today, as well as make our way on into and through chapter 2. And if everyone's there, let's let's go back and start reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. As I always say, you can never get enough of the Word of God or too much. So we're going to go back and start reading at verse 1. And this way, too, we will be able to stay within the context of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the writing of the Apostle Peter. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, if you haven't yet, uh, if you weren't with us last week or you haven't listened to last week's teaching uh, on 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 15, I really encourage you to, to go back and listen to that. Um, But verse 8 here continues, speaking of all these things and says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, I'll just take a, a brief moment here to comment on this again. Do you see what's being said here? We are to to live a life like this, you know, like starting in verse 5, right? There's something that you are to add to your faith. You don't just come to faith in Jesus Christ and that's it. You, you live the same way, right? No, you live in a different way. You begin to live in a virtuous way. You you increase in your knowledge of the Lord. You, you add self-control to your life, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, right? And of course, love, right? And if these things are in us, the scripture tells us here, we will neither be barren nor unfruitful, right? But if we lack these things, then we're blind. We've forgotten that we've been cleansed from our old sins. So there is again a way we are to live, right? And verse 10 continues, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. That's where we left off last week. And starting with our verses for today, verse 16 says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, if I were to go out on a limb here and paraphrase what Peter just said there in verse 16, and I don't ever really like to paraphrase the Word of God, but what Peter's, the point that Peter is getting across to us here is, hey, we ain't making this stuff up, he's saying. Hey, we, we saw it with our own eyes. That's what he's saying there in, in verse 16, right? So Peter, as he said back there in verse 15, he was going to make sure that the truth about Jesus Christ was to go, to go on and on long after he was dead and gone. And he did a pretty good job of that, didn't he? You and me are sitting here today still studying and learning about Jesus Christ and growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ because men like Peter, you know, made sure that the facts were written down. Remember, Peter was an uneducated man, right? And he took time to write all of this down. Now, why do I say Peter was an uneducated man? Well, I'll show you. Go ahead and, and mark this page in your Bible and turn back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And let's start reading in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So Peter goes on here, and obviously we, we see that you can go back and you can read this story on your own if you want, but what has taken place is someone was healed and they were arrested for it basically, right? or, you know, being hassled for it here. So th this is, verse 11 says, Peter's still speaking, he says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. We're speaking of Jesus here, right? And then in verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, 
and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So this is the influence that Jesus had upon them. And of course, these rulers and elders of Israel, they already knew the wisdom of Jesus, right? Most of them probably remember the time when Jesus was 12 years old and he spoke in the temple and he he amazed them all. But again, Peter, he was untrained and he was uneducated. And in the eyes of the theological people of that day, they didn't expect much out of him. But something, or should I say someone, impacted his life in a mighty way. And that, of course, was Jesus Christ. Peter had seen the wondrous works of Jesus with his own eyes. And he knew of his majesty. And Peter was, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we of course, can remember a different Peter, can't we, from the Scriptures? A Peter that had denied the Lord three times. But Jesus had a great impact on Peter's life. And as we flip back to 2 Peter chapter 1 now, Peter again, he says in verse 16, let's, let's read that again. So 2 Peter 1, 16, he said, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, there's a couple things here we're going to look at, right? We're going to talk about this whole eyewitness of, of the majesty of Jesus here. But also know that there are cunningly devised fables. And there are teachers, so-called teachers of the Bible today, that come up with some very crafty, very cunningly devised fables and call it Bible doctrine. But I want to go ahead and comment a little bit more on verse 16 here, because for you and me today, seeing is not believing, right? In other words, we don't need, need to see with our eyes the majesty of Jesus in order to believe. Peter's just pointing out, hey, I did see it, right? Now, there will be a day when we will see him with our eyes in all of his majesty. And on that day, it'll be far too late for the non-believers to say, oh, now that I see Jesus in his majesty, now I believe. Now it's too late at that point. Today, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. I mentioned this from time to time, but I've been reading and studying the Bible. I was born again 28 years ago. I've yet to see Jesus. No, never been taken to heaven in a dream, never, nothing like that. The only thing I walk by is faith. That's it. That's, it's, it's, it's that simple. That's what we're called to walk by. Walk by faith, not by sight. You know, this reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says that, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
You see, salvation comes through faith. In order to be saved, one must believe the message of Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that Jesus grew up, he was a baby, of course, on the earth, and he grew up and he went to the cross. And he died on that cross for the remission of our sin, for the sin of the world. John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he was buried and that on the third day he rose again. That's the message. And to many, that message is foolish today. They say, I don't want to believe that. And many don't want to believe that because, well, coming to Jesus also requires repentance, what we see in Scripture, right? And Jesus himself said that they don't want to come to the light because men love darkness rather than light. The nature of the human flesh is to love darkness. In other words, to to walk in sin, to keep things secret, to maybe, you know, it's funny, you know, you hear Christians being called hypocrites all the time, but it's the nature of everybody's flesh to be hypocritical because we want to put on a certain persona out in public and be a totally different way behind the scenes, right? But I encourage you to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But again, seeing is not believing. Believing or faith, true faith that is, comes into play when you don't see. You remember the story of the Apostle Thomas? He swore that he would not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless he saw him with his own eyes. And of course, Jesus appeared to him, and and Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Peter had his place in the body of Christ, right? He was something that you and me are not. He was an eyewitness to the majesty of Jesus Christ. Peter was faithful to be sure that he wrote down all that he knew. And verse 17 here continues to speak of Jesus and says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, this is when Peter was an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about here. Let me show you what I mean. Go ahead and mark this page. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. first book, of course, of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, and let's start reading in verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. 
His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, I kind of just find that funny to me, you know. While Peter was still speaking, in other words, it doesn't matter what Peter's saying right now. What matters is what's about to happen, and that is that a bright cloud overshadowed them, it says. And suddenly, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So that's what Peter was talking about back in Second Peter chapter 1. This is when Peter was an eyewitness to the majesty of Jesus. God the Father spoke from heaven regarding his son Jesus, and God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And as we go ahead now and flip back to 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is testifying again of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his knowledge of him. And Peter goes on in verse 18 of 2 Peter 1. And he says, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed by which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what is the word of God here by the Holy Spirit speaking to us through Peter's letter here? He said, he said there, you do well to heed. Speaking of the prophetic word, he said, you do well to heed. Right? And what again was the word spoken from the cloud on that holy mountain that night? God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. So that's the key right there, folks. We must hear him. We must hear what the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us today in the Word of God, and we must take heed to it. In other words, taking heed isn't just hearing. It's not being what James calls a forgetful hearer. Taking heed means we live it out. We actually live what the scriptures say. And moving on here, verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, this is an often quoted and often taught about passage of scripture. Again, it says, No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's just stay in the context of the letter here. And let's read verse 21. It says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
So again, Peter said back in verse 16, right, that we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the point here is what? Scripture comes from God. It does not come from the minds of men. If it did, if Scripture came from the minds of men, then we could very easily say that it's made up, it's cunningly devised fables and nothing more. But instead, the Scriptures that we read and study today have come about, why? Because holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how we have the Word of God today. That's why it is the Word of God. In other words, God's Word, not man's Word. It's God's Word. And we do well to take heed to God's Word, to listen to it, to live it out. Now, we know, of course, that there are other, quote, religious books out there today that people follow as their scriptures, right? Well, these books are cunningly devised fables. And you know, if you hold many of these books to the test, you will find that they have, in many cases, plagiarized the Bible and that they are full of unverifiable suppositions. There's one well-known book to our area here that lists places and things that never existed in the time spoken of. The Bible, the Word of God, on the other hand, is full of historical facts. So, the Word, the, our Bibles, it's God's Word. And we do well to take heed to it. So Peter has begun this letter, you know, that he has written. As verse 1 states, right? Look back at verse 1. It says, who, who did he write this to? To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's written, this is an important fact to understand because this is written to born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And as we move on now into chapter 2 of this letter, Peter will now give us as believers in Jesus Christ a warning. And he says in verse 1, But there were, false, there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So we see some things here. There'll be destructive heresies and there'll be people who deny the Lord who bought them. And what will happen? They'll bring to themselves swift destruction. Right? So it says there that these teachers are among us. In other words, these are so-called believers 
in Jesus Christ. They, they profess Jesus. Notice there also in verse 1 that it says that they will even deny the Lord who bought them, right? In other words, they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, just like you and me. And notice, too, that what they do, they do secretly, it says. They bring in destructive heresies. This means that their teachings are actually destroying people. They are false teachers that exist amongst us today, and they bring on themselves swift destruction. And you might just say, okay, well, good, that's fine, just leave them alone. But here's the problem, though, verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways. So that's a big problem, even within Christianity today. Many people follow false teachers. And why is that a big problem? Well, verse 2 here continues and says, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So truth gets blasphemed by false teachers. People that hear the truth of the gospel today, they blaspheme or they mock or they laugh at the truth of the gospel because of what all these false teachers are doing today. All you need to do is take a moment to go on something like YouTube and watch all the, the videos of you know, people that, that are mocking these so-called Christian preachers. You know, you know, all those preachers that throw the Holy Spirit around, you know, they knock half the audience, the audience down, the, the one that drives, they drive the expensive cars and they live in mansions and they tell others that if they send money to their ministry, they too will become rich. These are false teachers. They're teaching false doctrines. And as a result, what happens? Well, the real truth gets blasphemed. How? Well, people look at it, the non-believers, people who haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, look at those people and say, what a bunch of hypocrites. And they're right. The truth of the gospel is being blasphemed by false teachers today. And they are deceiving many. And how do they do it? What do they use? What's their trick of the trade, right? Well, verse 3 says, by covetousness. Now stop right there. This is what the trick of their trade is. This is what they operate under. Covetousness. What is covetousness? Well, the word that's used in the original Greek is a word that means greedy desire to have more. Think about it. That's what covetousness means. A greedy desire to to have more. And this is what these false teachers are known for that Peter is speaking of. They're known for a greedy desire for more. And verse 3 continues on there and says, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Now, I want to pause right there. That word exploit is a word that means to make merchandise of you to make merchandise of you. 
And that actually is exactly what the King James Version says, I believe. And what they do is they use deceptive words to, to, to get your money, to get your things, and to train you to do the same. And of course, they themselves become rich because they're exploiting others with deceptive words. And they've got a wide audience of people that follow them in their covetousness. Why? Because the people that send in the money, they're covetous themselves. They, they have a greedy desire for more. But you know, if people would just take time to study the, study the Word of God on their own, just pick up the Bible and begin to study it on your own and seek the Lord with all your heart, you will come to see what true teaching really is. And then you will know the counterfeit. You will know what's false because you yourself go to the Word of God to study it. That is why I often point out to people, don't just listen to me. I don't want to be a Bible teacher that people listen to and just follow blindly. You must have a personal intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must add to your faith knowledge, right? Grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow and mature in the Word of God yourself, so much so that no one could ever come along and deceive you. So these people existed way back when Peter wrote this letter and long before Peter too. And they exist today, don't they? And verse 3 continues, For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So what's that telling us? Well, it's saying they're going to get theirs. It's coming. They've made their bed and they're going to sleep in it unless they repent. But that's what the Word of God is conveying to us here is that we need to be careful because there are false teachers amongst us and destruction awaits them and starting in verse 4 here we are going to see all kinds of examples of others that lived in a sinful way like these false teachers do Verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, I want to pause right there and say, we don't know a whole lot from Scripture about these angels spoken of here. But Jude, in his letter, he speaks of them. In verse 6, he says that these angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, and that God has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, you see, we must always keep in mind that God in His Word has laid out for us a perfect order unto which we are to live and be obedient to. Okay, Some people like to come to the Lord and bend the rules. They become deceptive and they make up teachings that lead others astray, right? And of course, 
these other people just want to listen to teachers. All right, they just want to heap up for themselves teachers and say, oh, I, listen, I follow so-and-so. You remember the Apostle Paul warned of those who would say, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, right? We have the same thing today. My favorite teacher is so-and-so. I follow Dr. So-and-so and this and that and on and on it goes, right? But you're responsible for yourself and you've got to get into the Word of God yourself and know it for yourself. Another example in verse 5 here, right, is verse 5 says that did not spare, that God, right, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So there in that time, one man, Noah, there was one man preaching righteousness, Everyone else was living in a godly manner. Then another example there in verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those afterward who, who would live ungodly. So do you see that? Sodom and Gomorrah being burned up from fire from heaven is, is an example of what will happen to these type of false teachers and for anyone that lives in an ungodly manner. And what was godly about the way they lived in Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Jude talks about this too. Go ahead and, and mark this page again and turn up to uh, Jude. Jude is next to the last book in the New Testament, right before you get to Revelation. Jude's only one chapter. So in Jude, so I asked the question, right? What was wrong with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? What did they do that was so ungodly? Well, in Jude, verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common faith, okay, so now remember, Peter, he wanted to pass on the truth. Now Jude's saying the same thing. He thought it necessary to write about this common salvation that we have, right? And he said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So we got to contend for the faith, Jude is saying. You got to fight to stay the course. Don't be led astray by these false teachers. Because he goes on in verse 4 and says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Right? Remember, Peter said something similar too, didn't he? He said, these type of people come in secretly, secretly, excuse me, in a deceptive manner. Well, Jude speaks of another kind of people amongst Christians here, right? And he says, who long ago were marked out for their condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So Jude is speaking in the very same vein as Peter here. He's pointing out to us that destruction awaits the ungodly people. And then in verse 6, right, that I quoted to you earlier, he says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And now 
we will see another example here of ungodly people. He goes on in verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the the vengeance of eternal fire. So as we turn back now to 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter also brought up Sodom and Gomorrah, right, in verse 6, where he said, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterwards live ungodly. So how did the people of Sodom and Gomorrah live ungodly? What were they doing? They were living in sexual immorality. They were living in an ungodly manner, is the bottom line here. And God destroyed them for this. And verse 7 says, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So what does God do? He delivers the righteous, but destruction awaits the ungodly. They are reserved for punishment. Why? Because they did not take heed of the scriptures. They did not choose to live in a godly manner. And these people, too, have crept into the body of Christ today. People that live in sexual immorality, which is any sex outside of marriage, and yet they proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ. They, But they really live in a non-biblical manner. But all the while, they profess Christianity. And this, too, is a cause for the truth to be blasphemed. Because people look at that and say, again, hypocrites. In verse 10 here in 2 Peter 2, we'll begin to describe more ungodly people. It says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Wow. Look, you know that word presumptuous there? Uh, in the Greek is a, a word that means daring, okay? So this is describing a person that's not afraid to just run their mouth and do whatever they want to do, get up in people's faces. They're self-willed, right? Meaning they're self-pleasing. People like this exist in the body of Christ today as well. Remember who this letter is written to and what it's about now. It's about the false teachers and the people that are amongst us that behave this way. You see, it's very easy to take our fingers as the body of Christ and point at the world around us and say, look what they're doing. Look what he's doing. Look at what that government official is doing. Look at that. Look at that. You know, when all the while the Bible's pointing at us and saying how we're supposed to be living as believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 11 goes on and says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might, Do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of these things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. So angels won't even speak evil of the dignitaries of today, right? Uh, 
or of that day. But these people will. And they're in, they proclaim to be in the body of Christ. And they speak evil of things they have no clue about. And yet they profess all the while, well, God's in control. Well, if God's in control, stop speaking evil of the dignitaries. Trust in God, right? That's what we are to do. But these people will reap from what they sow. They'll perish in their own corruption, as Scripture says. Right? And verse 13 says that they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. So again, it's a daring person. They'll do what they do in the broad daylight. It says they are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Notice that again. While they feast with you. So they are amongst us. They're professing to be in the body of Christ and they're living this way. They're imposters. They are frauds. They are phonies. And they are being led by covetousness. It's their own greedy desire to have more. Verse 14 says, Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. So man, Peter's being very descriptive here under the leading of the Holy Spirit, isn't he? Their eyes are full of adultery. They don't care what they look at with their eyes. They can't stop sinning. They entice others to be like them. They're trained for greed, always trying to get ahead in life without actually working in an ethical manner to do it. You see, God prescribes for us in his word that we should work, that we should be diligent, that we should be known for righteousness, doing what's right. But verse 15 says they have forsaken the right way. It's just that simple. We need to let that sink in right there. It's as simple as that. There's right and there's wrong. But these people are professing professing Christians, right? But they're choosing what's wrong. They have forsaken what is right. They have forsaken the right way, it says, and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet, right? Now, that story you can find in Numbers chapter 22, but I'll give it to you in a nutshell. There was a man named Balak, and Balak was the kingdom of Moab. I I really encourage you, go read this story, Numbers chapter 22. But Balak was a king in the kingdom of Moab, and the Israelites had come out of Egypt, right? And And Balak, the king, was afraid of them because there were so many of them. And he feared that they were going to take over Moab. So this king, what did he do? He summoned for Balaam, the son of Beor, who's Peter, who Peter is talking about here. This guy, Balaam, was a prophet of God. And the king wanted Balaam to curse the children of Israel so, so it could make it so that he could conquer them. And Balaam, at first, he refused to come and sit down with the king. He refused to talk this whole deal over. He said, no way, basically, right? But what happened was the king then sweetened the deal. And he sent messengers to Balaam and he told Balaam, he told his messengers to tell Balaam that, hey, Balaam, you know what? The king will honor you greatly and do whatever you want. So Balaam, Balaam did what? 
He was led by covetousness at this point. And he got up and he saddled his donkey and he went with the king. So he was enticed here. Wow. What was he enticed by? A greedy desire for more. Covetousness. So he's traveling along and an angel of the Lord came along and stood in the path so that ba- stood in the path so that Balaam's donkey couldn't go any further. So Balaam didn't see this angel, so he gets up and he strikes this donkey three times, right? And he does this three times, and and you know I'll actually read a little bit of the story here. It says, "Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam." What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for I now would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his uh, sword drawn in his hand, right? And he bowed his head and he fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said, Why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Again, why is his way perverse? Because he's being led by covetousness. He's being led by greed. And the angel told him, Hey, the donkey saw me. You didn't see me, but the donkey saw me. Okay. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it, displeases, if it displeases you, I will turn back. But you know what? You can go ahead and read on in all this, right? Balaam didn't repent. His covetousness, his greed led him to keep walking in the path of unrighteousness. And again, as we flip back, or I never had you turned there, but in Second Peter here, chapter 2, We're seeing that greed can lead people to do things in the name of the Lord even. But in reality, these people are full of evil and they are on a path of destruction. And Peter goes on to drive this point home about these people. And in verse 17 there, he says, These are wells without water, clouds carried away by tempests, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So, again, do you see the evil of these false teachers here? These false Christians? They're in it for gain. They're in it for greed. They they speak great swelling words, right? And do you know what that means, great swelling word? That means fine phrases that have no meaning. (laughs) In other words, there's nothing to back them up. You can go and listen to some of these preachers, and if you hold them to the Word of God, if you study it yourself, and you hold it it against them what they're saying, in other words, you, you read it yourself, and listen to what they say, it's easy to see, where are they getting this from? These are fine phrases. It sounds cool. It sounds funny. It appeals to me. It appeals to the lust of my flesh, right? So, you know, they allure through the lust of the flesh. That's what they're doing when they're speaking these words. Because why? Well, people want to become rich in this life, don't they? People want to become rich, rather rich in money, you know, rather than rich toward God. 
But as born-again believers, if you're listening and, and you are a born-again believer, you should be all about becoming rich toward God and toward the things of the kingdom of God. Right? But people get led astray by these false teachers. And verse 19 says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So do you see what that verse is saying there? If you listen to these, these teachers, these false teachers teaching this kind of stuff, what happens? You get put into bondage. Right? You become money-hungry people. You become slaves of corruption. And money corrupts, doesn't it? When you believe these false teachings and, and, and you send money into them, you're now under the same corruption because you're really believing that in return, you're going to become rich. That's why you're sending in the money because you believe in their false doctrine. You believe in that if you give, then you will get whatever you want. When If you take time, again, I keep repeating this, but take time to study these scriptures that they quote. Study them in their true context. And you know, and there are people that have actually escaped the error of their ways. In other words, these are people that have repented and they've come to the Lord and they're professing Christianity, but they fall under the pollution of these false teachers. Verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so that tells us something there, right? That's how we escape the pollution of the world, is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It says they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. That's pretty sobering right there. It will be worse for them in the end than it was in the beginning and before they ever even came to the Lord because they turned and followed false teachers. Verse 21 says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So, look, folks, I don't believe that any of you here will let this happen to you. But please be aware that this is happening all around us today in so-called Christianity. And again, if you don't study the Bible in its true context, you can be in danger of falling under these false teachings. So let me encourage you again. Study the Word of God for yourself. Again, please don't become a person that just sits and listens to a Bible teacher like me and never puts it to the test. Now, I try my best to, to keep your eyes in the Word of God when I'm teaching you like this, but you must determine in your own heart to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Be a student of Jesus Christ yourself. Know His Word for yourself. By so doing... You will never be deceived by these false teachers. Amen. God bless.